A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Liz Henderson, aka the Data Queen, who's an executive advisor at Capgemini. To be clear, though, Liz was only representing her own views on the podcast. So some high-level takeaways slash thoughts from Liz's point of view. Number one, to drive buy-in and engagement in a data strategy, especially with people outside the IT slash data team, focus on the why. Why are you doing this initiative or approach? What business goals is it supporting? Number two, also on driving buy-in for a data initiative, start by listening instead of selling or pitching. Focus on the business needs and work backwards to show how data can help address those needs. Number three, to be successful with a large change management data initiative, you need the patience, leadership, courage, and will to push forward. And the budget. Don't forget the budget. (laughs) Number four, you can't have an effective data strategy if it isn't directly tied into the business strategy. Really consider how data can help to support and execute on the business strategy. Data strategy in a vacuum away from the business is a recipe for trouble at best. Number five, it's very easy to get overly focused in data on what you are delivering instead of why you are delivering it and who it is supposed to serve. If you want to be successful, you need to focus on the latter too and look to deliver continuous incremental value rather than a back-end loaded value delivery. Number six, change management is very easy to get wrong in data. Really consider if you can not only get the ball rolling, but keep it rolling and keep it rolling in the right direction to implement a large change. Loss of momentum, loss of direction can mean loss of funding. Number seven, if data mesh follows a similar pattern to data literacy, it's likely to be three to four years from the initial large swell and hype around data mesh, whether that was late 2021 or more kind of now, it's going to take that three to four years until we really see a clear picture of how more organizations have really implemented. There needs to be a time for trial and error and settling in and really figuring out what practices uh, are the <laughs> some good approaches. That's part of what I'm trying to do with the podcast is figure out that stuff earlier, but kind of naturally, we shouldn't expect it to be <laughs> quite so quick. 
Number eight, data literacy can only get you so far. You need data storytelling and visualization as the business people need to be able to understand what the data is saying to drive their decisions, right? When we talk about data-informed or data-driven, people actually have to understand what the information is telling them, not just have access to that information. Finally, number nine, the three most common ways organizations go wrong with data are, first, technology first slash expecting to buy your way to a solution to your challenges. Second, not asking the why questions, like why are we doing this? Why are we approaching it this way? And finally, not having a data strategy at all. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I have the data queen, uh, Liz Henderson here, who is an executive advisor at Capgemini. I want to be clear that she is representing only her own opinions today and not officially speaking on behalf of the, the company as well. So we're going to be covering a lot of different ground here today, but a lot of this is when you're thinking about something like data mesh, like th- this is the conversation that you want to be having with the leaders in your um, in your data organization and maybe with the rest of the C-suite about like, why are we actually trying to do this? Getting to the why, what, what are the strategic goals? Like data mesh isn't the point. Data mesh is the vehicle that we're trying to do to implement a data strategy, right? Is, is data mesh or anything else evaluating, is it right for you? Is it right for you right now? And it's okay if it's not. I keep telling people, Data mesh might not be the right fit for them right now, and that's not a bad thing. Like we, we kind of need to get to that that level of thinking. And I think Liz has a very uh, pragmatic <laughs> thought process to the way that we do data, and that it's not, you know, this big bang, okay, hard shift type approach. How do we like kind of do that uh, evolution? heading towards a revolution, but that we're not trying to do an overnight revolution type of, of impact to our data organization. Cause you know, we have to keep the lights on, we have to keep things going. So very excited to kind of jump into a lot of those things. Uh, Liz has some great experience, especially being the, the queen. So of data. So um, Liz, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and a bit about your background, and then uh, we can jump into the conversation at hand. Fantastic intro. Thanks, Scott. So I've had a long career in data, both in consulting and directly in industry roles. I've got a proven track record for leading and shaping data strategy, which means helping organizations really understand the value of their data and what can they generate in value-wise from that data and treat it as an asset. Look after it just like you look after your people. Yeah, and, and um, well, and, and it's always funny with the whole data as an asset versus data as a product uh, conversation. And we can get into that a little bit later. But like, to me, it's when you think of data assets as assets instead of data assets as products, but data should be considered like of value. So it is an asset versus like, okay, this thing can't change, which is the way that we've always kind of approached data of we have to get it right up front. And if we don't get it right, then it starts to devolve and all that thing. So I'd love to kind of wrap that into the the conversation as well. But um, why don't we start with the importance of, of kind of the why, right? Of getting to why. Why are we trying to do this? What are the strategic goals? When, when you're having that conversation with people about data, let's, let's start with kind of the people outside of the data org. I know a lot of people that are trying to push data mesh inside their organization or, or data strategy. Like, how do you think about 
pushing that up to a higher level of conversation, not like we're doing data mesh and that's the thing that solves it. No, it doesn't solve anything if you're just doing data mesh. Like what 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 are the the traditional roadblocks in that conversation? What are you seeing? What what have you seen historically and what do you see kind of now about having that conversation? You know, I think people are bought in in general that data is important, but there's not really a data is valuable, data is important therefore X, right? So like, can you help us bridge that gap and and start to talk about some of the conversations you've had historically and kind of how those have evolved more recently around getting to an actual valuable output instead of trying to push information at people, like actually generating that real back and forth conversation? Yeah, it's a really good question. And that's a lot of the challenge. People grab hold of those buzzwords. I want a data catalog. We need data mesh. But what does that actually mean? And you can spend lots and lots of money. IT often come to us and say, we want data mesh. Okay, but why? Why are you as IT wanting data mesh? It needs to be driven from the business. And unless the business are owning that, they're managing the data, they really understand the why and what that's product you're developing, and I don't just mean data mesh products, I mean a data catalogue, a data product, your master data management, unless that really is understood and how that enables the business strategy to achieve those objectives that the business sets out every year to say, this is what we're going to achieve this year. What are the enablers? At what point is data beneficial to helping the organisation move forward for achieving those objectives? And that's a lot of the challenge. People don't think about the why. They just say, yeah, we want data mesh. Okay, but what are you going to do with it? If you create data mesh, you create products, you create a couple of products, you've got a couple of use cases, now what? What happens? Are you actually going to maintain that data? Who's going to own it? Are you just going to stick it on a shelf like a book and just hope somebody looks at it? Where does that take you? What does that actually help you generate value in the business? How does it impact your customers? All those things, it's a really big picture. And I think a lot of organizations just focus on that tiny slice of this is the great buzzword. I mean, if we take the data catalog um, challenge, yes, we need data catalog. What are you going to do with that? You've got a data catalog. You've got a list of all your data assets, your data sources. So what? How are you going to use them? What are you going to do with them? It doesn't improve the quality just because you've got a data catalogue, so you can't get any more value or any more benefit out of them just because you have a data catalogue. So really think about why do I need that? What's the value creation? How's that going to help the organisation? And and to put it a little bit crassly, I, I would say that kind of what you're saying is just, so what? Like, okay, you want to do... like. What is the point? Um, how how do you think about that conversation? Do you let the business say so? What or like what what have you seen that's been successful and maybe unsuccessful when you're talking about driving these initiatives? Where it is the data is you you need to really set yourself up in the data organization to drive those business objectives, those business strategies, and constantly be tied into those. You're not in your own separate world doing your data and that, you know, the business is its own separate world. We have to really integrate those and tie those in to, to, to fit the, the real business strategy. So what have you seen that that's kind of been a, a bad path <laughs> of how you would approach it and maybe some, some good ways? Because again, so many people are there, they might have even a C-level, you know, CDO types, um, sponsor for their data initiative, but like they still are struggling to, um, really explain that. So what, what is, what is the impact of this? And and again, data mesh is early enough that we don't have a lot of, okay, and it's going to drive revenue in this way and it's going to do it this way. And so like, how have you found those conversations, not exclusively to data mesh, but how have you found those conversations to go well or Let's start with poorly so people can avoid the anti-patterns and then maybe head down some some good ways that you've seen people actually work with that. Well, it's the same with anything. If you say, I want to do data quality, okay, why? 
Good example is data governance. We want to do data governance. Question one, what does that actually mean? But you get organisations headlong, buying a solution, trying to write these policies, trying to set up enormous um, committees that let's have these committees that we're going to have 20 people attend. We're going to go through all this agenda. Two months down the line, they're not successful because people can't see the value in attending them. You might get the first couple of months, you get everybody attending, oh, what's this all about? But if they're going to sit there for two hours and just listen to somebody preach at them saying, you must do this, you must do that, why are they going to attend? You really have to make it valuable for people to want to do this. So that goes back to the why. And if anybody asks you for anything, it's almost if someone comes to you and says, in your your analytics role, I need a report that says X, Y, Z. You just go ahead and do it. But actually, why are you doing it? You might have to repeat that report many, many times. And that person might just take that report and just put it in their drawer, just in case somebody asks them for it. That's why they're asking for it. And that's why they need it. But is that really valuing your time to create that report and pull all that effort into it? So I think anything in the data world, it's why do you need that? Where's the value? Who's getting the value? Is it internal value? Is it external customer value? Really thinking about that. I've often heard it called the five whys of data. It's like a Mm two-year-old. Why are we doing this? Why do you need it? I mean, obviously, it don't sound like a two-year-old because it might just annoy a few people. But think about the how do you get to the actual point? I wrote a blog post recently about generating value out of data. And what I did is I took a few examples, say, for example, um, logistics. When you're putting products on the lorry, all the products don't fit in because the measurements are not right. Okay, so what do you need? So you work back from the problem, and that's the why are we doing this, and take the steps back, right back into the data elements of, okay, we need to sort this bit of data out and these products are our highest selling products. Let's sort those out. And it's always the working backwards, the actual um, root cause analysis. Yeah. And I think that attempting to um, solve those business solutions helps to engender the the actual buy-in in in the conversation because you're going to them and saying, what are your problems? And let's like figure out how we can actually support that with data. And then, you know, it's not, I have a solution for you. Like this is kind of what I've seen with like data virtualization is data virtualization uh, vendors are always a hammer looking for nails, right? Versus, okay, I understand like that this is a nail and this is a screw and this, you know, this you have to hit it very, very flush and it, and it doesn't need a lot of pressure. So I'm going to need, use a different type of, of hammering approach or a different hammer even to hit this in, or I'm going to use uh, a Phillips head or a flathead screwdriver or all of those things, because it is like, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? Um, and, and then you can work back from that. And as somebody who's kind of been embedded in, in, different roles and really focused on the business aspect. Uh, I totally agree of the more that you focus on like, why, why does this matter? You know, and, and communicating that to all stakeholders. Um, so what, if, if somebody is really bought in that they want to do data mesh, like we'll, we'll jump into is data mesh right for you and evaluating that in a second. But let's say somebody really thinks that they're a data leader and they really think that data mesh is a good approach for the company. Like every organization is different. And so we can, we can give the blanket. It depends, but like how can they start to have those conversations to drive buy-in? Is it, to extract the pain points or is it to talk, to sell the, the vision or like, how do you think that works best when you are trying to take, you know, we think this is the right approach for us in the data org and we want to take it um, to a, a, a broader level? Well, considering data mesh is organizational focused, forget technology. Anybody that talks about technology when they're talking about data mesh is completely off track. Data fabric is technology. Let's keep data mesh to the organization and the focus on the organization. You can do data mesh with the technology you have now. So completely forget about technology. 
Getting the buy-in for data mesh is not saying to the business, we're going to do data mesh. It's understanding what the business needs and helping them solve their problems. So if they're trying to do analytics or they want more insight, say, for example, it'd be great if we had all the customers in the Northeast and were coming to their, the end of their contract in the next six months. It's not only, yes, let's do some analytics. Think about it in the data mesh approach of what kind of data products do we need to put together to develop that information so they have it on a regular basis and also then can add on to it and develop more things and potentially add services and offerings to those customers and create some value out of it. So it may be that we understand those customers that are coming to the end of a contract and we might offer them new things or we might offer them new services and help your teams understand the benefits by looking at what they need to achieve. So they might have sales figures, they might have retention figures. And it's about taking those elements and focusing on those and saying, we have a solution or we might try something that will help you achieve that. Not saying, here's data mesh, that will give you the world, because it won't. Yeah. Well, and, and it's funny, there's a couple of different um, things emerging from data mesh as to how people are even kind of, uh, what is the genesis of data products? And it, it like, is it that the domain, I think this, I think Jamak's original vision was that the domain would know pretty well about how they want to share their data. And then people would kind of start to consume from that. But what, what I'm seeing, the conversations I'm having is if the domain is kind of in a vacuum relative to what people are really like directly requesting and they're creating these data products with the assumption that people will consume from them, people aren't consuming from them. Part of that is that the data discovery, um, you know, tooling and, and the way that we do it is not as uh, robust as we need, but it's also just, I think exactly what you're talking about of, I think we just need to drive to pain points and really say, you know, there's some people that are creating kind of almost purposeful data swamps, right? It's that this is not the highest quality data, but it is what, what data could be on offer. And then use cases emerge. But what, where we're seeing people really seeing good benefits early from data mesh, it's that there is use case driven data product creation whatever that means, that we, we really do focus on the, but why? Like, let's not do work for the sake of doing work, right? If, if you're sharing data that nobody's finding valuable and you've talked to the people that might find it valuable and they don't find it valuable, don't do that work anymore, right? Which we haven't had as, as an approach in data of, hey, this thing's not very valuable. Let's shut it off. Like, that that's not something that's been in, it's like, you, this thing that you're creating has to be, you know, served in perpetuity. And that's kind of that, that asset mindset versus the product mindset of, Hey, like we sunset products, like they're, they're not there anymore. Um, you know, I do go to Trader Joe's as my uh, grocery store and they keep sunsetting the products I like. So I'm not real happy about that, but maybe it's not the highest margin or maybe, you know, it's, it's not the greatest demand. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's an important aspect of it. Um, I, I did want to talk about the is data mesh right for you or, or any other strategy right for you? Like, is it right for you right now? How do you think about answering that question? If somebody comes, you know, you're an executive advisor, right? So you have executives coming to you and saying, we want to do data mesh. Like, what's your first reaction? And then like, how do you talk them either through it or off the ledge as to, well, you're not really ready for this, but like, how do you think about that conversation internally for organizations, right? Uh, of how can they really evaluate if this is something that's going to be useful or helpful for them? Yeah, I'm just thinking different customers, different things and all the scenarios that come to me and it's kind of like yeah maybe not for you maybe maybe a little bit for you just going back on a, another comment that you just said about creating data mesh you've got to be really careful because you could end up creating that white elephant huge investment white elephant sits in the corner nobody ever uses it 
are all really familiar with that spreadsheet culture. Everybody loves their spreadsheets. And if you're not changing the organization sufficiently well that people no longer use the spreadsheets, again, you're spending an awful lot of money on data mesh, creating data products, and it's not going to be cheap to reorganize the business to, to move in this direction just for people to continue using their spreadsheets. So a couple of examples. I've had one company come to me and say, we want to do data mesh. But actually, as you talk to them, they don't even have the understanding within the business of what data mesh is. It's the IT team that are focusing, we want to do this, we're pushing this. The business are not engaged in any way whatsoever. So how on earth are you ever going to get the business buying into this? And to help them understand that IT can't own, IT love to own data. I don't know why. They just, it's that control and command. And it's like, you do not own data. It has to be owned by the business. And that's one of my passions around data mesh because it forces that ownership into the business. It takes it out of the grubby little hands of IT (laughs) and puts it in the hands of the business who really understand the data. They understand what they want to do with it. And if they don't understand now, they just need to go on that journey to help them understand what the data is, what it's used for, how it could be better, how it can enable better, exciting opportunities. That leads into data literacy, which we'll pick up a little bit later. Um, But yeah, there's that kind of, okay, really? Why do you want to do this if you're not engaging with the business? Do you not think we should be talking to the business and asking them and helping them understand it? And for me, in any plan around that, you really have got to do a lot of work on the change management bringing the business on board and helping them understand and that's not going to be quick and that's not going to be easy. No disrespect to the business, but they have a different approach to what they do. So this is a completely different way of working. And then you've got other organisations that say, yeah, we've got a federated organisation. We're really doing, uh, wanting to do data mesh. We're going to start off by putting all our data in one place. Well, it's kind of not data mesh. And also if you're not focusing on the reorganization to become federated because actually in reality you're completely decentralized you've got no central governance around your data it's like yeah are you sure you want to be looking at this approach just at this time there might be better solutions out there for you and it's a really challenging conversation because like I say they, they just grab onto this everybody's doing data mesh let's all do it and they think it's the right thing to do but I think there's so many challenges out there. Um, I wrote recently about the benefits, the considerations, and the, the, the things that the negative side of it, if you invest all this money and don't get anything for it, where are you? Yeah. Why, why are you investing? Like, what, what yeah. are you trying to do, like, constantly? For, and, and I think um, exactly what you talked about. There, there is a story of... Um, DPG Media, Juan is Rosier, uh, uh, who was a, one of the first guests on the podcast, talked about they were in such a kind of disorganized, decentralized structure that they did have to bring everything together to then re-decentralize because they needed to develop those practices of like what are our practices around what we need for the centralized governance, right? When people talk about federated governance in data mesh. It's about distributing the decision-making to the people who understand the information and can make that those decisions when it's not high-risk decisions very, very quickly. And if it's high-risk or highly complex decisions, that's where you have that centralized team to kind of lean back on. But they were in such a disorganized state that they had to centralize themselves enough to <laughs> create practices and actually understand what they were doing to then re-decentralize. But yeah, that people are like, well, we're already decentralized. So let's let's go ahead and just do that. And it's like, but you don't have any ways of working. So every team thinks that their way of working is the right way. So this is, you know, you may have to you're not doing data mesh right now. If you're going to be moving to that centralization, you could be preparing yourself, but like that, that's 
and that's fine. But like, again, it's, it's this thing of, well, we want to jump to the end. You know, it's like, okay. Um, say I, I, I want to run a marathon. I can't just start by, by going out there and saying, okay, I'm going to run 10 miles tomorrow. I, you know, I've got messed up shins. I haven't run in years and years, you know, I run a couple of blocks with my dog and that's about it. But, um, like, you you kind of have to set that out and and that you know you, you can't jump to the end vision because you're just going to create more chaos and and mess for yourself. Yeah, and data mesh is not a silver bullet. Nothing's a silver bullet. Data being successful with data takes a lot of hard work. I'd actually say a fair amount of money. Although you should actually be looking to be cost neutral, but we can cover that later. Um, Patience is also another big thing. And leadership, so important. Leadership from the top, so you're being consistent in the way you do things. I do talk to other organizations and they say, oh, yeah, we're going to do data management and data governance. And actually, let's create a data strategy in this small area of the business. And then another part of the business come and say, let's create a data strategy in this area of the business. It's like, guys, you're kind of duplicating everything. You're spending twice as much money just do it from the top, take the leadership, give the direction and make that consistent across the organization and then help each of the departments out with their own needs. But at least you're all moving in the same direction for the same need to develop and achieve the business strategy. Yeah, I think that it's it's funny how when I'm talking to organizations and I'm, I'm guessing you're finding the same thing of how many pockets of uh, strategy there are of why aren't people communicating with each other? Like, why isn't there a, a grander vision of what are we actually trying to accomplish? You know, I, I managed uh, AWS costs for a public company, you know, cloud, cloud spend for a, a company. And I was talking with so many different engineers and they kept being like, why does this matter? Why does this matter? And I was like, well, because our costs were spiraling They, you know, it was when we first launched a, a SaaS thing. So you're going to have a lot of initial spend, but our costs were going up 20, 30% a month, right? When you compound that pretty, uh, you know, aggressively, even when you start to say, okay, we're at launch, we're going to now only be up 10 or 15% a month. You know, your growth is just, uh, just crazy uh, at that level uh, where you're more than doubling or probably tripling. I think if you really were to put the math together every year, that's, <laughs> that's not sustainable. That's, that's a bad thing. So, um, you know, having that conversation being like, Hey, we need to think about costs and everything we do, but it's not the most important time to market matters it, it, that we have to keep an eye on this and we have to embed it in every conversation just so that we don't let it just slip by the wayside. And I think that's kind of what you're saying as well. If like, hey, we need that broader vision. We need to have that conversation. We need to be thinking about this. But doing data mesh isn't the strategy. It's not even the data strategy, right? It's it's part of what are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to be data-driven? Okay, but why, right? You talked about the why. Okay, what is, you know, infusing data into more of our decisions uh, on a day-to-day basis. What does that get us? Okay, it means that we can be more uh, agile relative to, uh, lowercase agile, (laughs) but we can be more agile relative to questions and decisions. And as things come up in the market, we can react to opportunities. So I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's just, you're you're preaching to the choir of somebody who really cares about the business side more than the data side on on my uh, side. So, um, if you've got any, anything that you want to, um, add on there, but I've got a a couple of, uh, questions that we could jump into that I want to ask as well. Yeah. I think just a final point is data mesh is an enabler. And I think that's the thing to take away. It just enables other things to be successful or, or to happen or to give the opportunities to people to do new exciting things. Yeah, I think that um, I think that's a really good phrasing of it. Is that everything? I you know I talk about don't being data driven, be um, data informed because the data doesn't drive the decision, 
And so it is that enabler. It's enabling your people. And that's how you can also drive buy-in. If we're not, we're not replacing you with data. We're, we're enabling you. We're informing your decisions so you can move uh, with better speed and accuracy and understanding and, and all of that. So, um, so a couple of different things that we could jump into. One would be um, data products versus data as a product and how different that, that is. Um, or another would be, I think that could be really interesting is how long it takes for people to really understand how to do certain things, right? Within the data space. We talked about in our pre-call about data literacy and data culture, and people were talking about that three to four years ago. And then people have really started to kind of figure out <laughs> what it is and how to do that. And I think people are not being that patient around data mesh. They're trying to move very, very quickly with it. And, and I'm trying to be supportive of extracting as much information so people can move quickly, but with thoughtfulness. But like, so which, which one of those is more interesting for you to dive into first the data as a product versus uh, data products or, or kind of how it takes time for, um, tr- uh, you know, approaches and trends and things like that in data to actually sink in to figure out how to do them even somewhat well. <laughs> Let, let's go with the time thing because that's really interesting because three, four years ago, every conference, I was going to say webinar, but there were less webinars three or four years ago. Every conference, every panel you sit on, the questions were, how do we build a data culture? How do we do data literacy? And it's taken up until very recently that data literacy is the new black. It's really popular. It's really fashionable. It's everywhere. You look at LinkedIn and I don't think you can go past more than two or three posts without seeing somebody offering you a data literacy program or how to do data literacy really well or what what can you do with data literacy. It's just it literally is everywhere. And I accept that data mesh is pretty much everywhere. But what I would say is that it's taken that long for data literacy to become really embedded in data strategies and really key in some organizations. And I still say some, because actually not every organization is still understanding data literacy. They think about, well, we've got poor adoption of our new systems, but they don't think about the people because they go ahead, implement a new solution. There you are. Magic. You've got a new system, everything's solved, but you forget about the people. For me, doing anything with data, so for data success, you need your people, your process and technology. I think that's really common. But what you need to think about is the proportions of each. And I would say your people is at least 50% of that success, maybe even 80% of that success. And unless you support your people in changing their ways of working, their beliefs, their approaches, even their skills, you're not going to be successful with data. And that's probably a bit controversial because there's probably a lot of people that are successful, but I just think people are so important in the whole data space. For me, data is a people sport, full stop. It's 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 funny because I I think the people that are successful that aren't focusing on the people are successful in spite of it right because it's like it's okay you lucked into that success almost or or you had that will to push so so hard or you had the money often more to push so so hard to overcome not doing the people aspect um emmanuel schweizer um from emd electronics one and his episode talked about they're now taking people out for 10 weeks and training them and really, like, how are we going to do data? Why does this matter? Like, here is how you actually understand the systems. And everybody is so excited. And they're they're also starting to tell um, other people to, hey, come join us because you're going to actually learn how to do, you know, everyone keeps telling you, uh, you need to be data driven, you need to be, you need to really understand how to use data. But then no organizations are really giving you the time to, to go and learn that. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, when I talk about data mesh, I say it's people process first, architecture second, technology 17th. And, and that, that really angers a lot of people because 
the tangible aspect is the um, is the technology. But like, yeah, I think what have you seen that's worked around getting people up up to to speed on things? You know, because every organization is so different. So, are there any bedrocks when people are thinking about how do we actually get our people? Is it okay, we're going to train the consumers, the producers, that we're going to train them all together? Are we going to focus on specific use cases versus generalized skills? Like, what have you seen that's that's worked to actually get... The other point that I, w- I wanted to, to bring into that as well was when you look at why data projects fail, it's like 80% of the time it was bad communication and, and people didn't, you know, that, that you didn't have the real needs and the wants and everything down pat. And so there was just this miscommunication. So even the like communication aspect of it is so crucial. And that's, again, the people side of exchanging the context. It's not the API data exchange context. It's the people. So like, how have you seen people doing that the right way or, or the wrong way so people can avoid certain aspects of it? Yeah, I mean, often it's the, well, we didn't understand the requirements or you didn't collect our requirements. Again, you're not talking to the right people. Just want to challenge you on your technology 17. That upsets me a little bit as well. (laughs) And I'll tell you the reason why is because these days with technology that's AI led, it supports the users. So if you think about profiling and data quality and supporting those data stewards, yes, they need to understand data and why they're doing it and why it's important but that good quality technology solution really will support the consistency so instead of them typing in a ton of data quality rules the system comes up with them and makes suggestions it's almost as i i did um, a bit of a presentation i say a bit of i did a presentation a couple of years ago about um norma and ted ted walks into the office norma what's the updates today and it's like this virtual reality voice that comes on and said, because recognized Ted's voice and just said, you have five data quality issues. Three of them I've been able to resolve myself. Two of them you need to look at. So you just it's kind of the, almost the virtual dashboard. When you walk in the office, you know what's going on because you've got that assistant in the technology that's able to understand and go ahead and um, look after the data for you because they have that artificial intelligence. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen tomorrow, but maybe the future is going to look like that. I don't know. Yeah, that, my, my point to it is, again, getting the strategy bedrock down and that the specific technology pieces aren't the thing that, that drives it, right? It's not that you're, you're choosing, you know, okay, Kafka or Pulsar or Kinesis or whatever, that it's not, okay, you're choosing these, these specific technologies the more that I talk to people who are being successful, they go, technology is the hard part, except for it's it's the hard part, but it's the easiest part of the hard parts, right? Like everything else is harder. Technology is difficult and we need it to to support these things, but we must we must think about what are we trying to accomplish? Like what the people process side, if we just throw technology at these challenges, that's the way we maybe architecture. That's the way that we've been trying to do data and it hasn't scaled. So we need to rethink throwing technology first instead of say, what do we actually like? This is the setup we want. And then we'll we'll find the the things that can support that or maybe even the stuff that will support it in the future. And we have to kind of go without for a bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree that if everybody has to build everything themselves or if everything is like automation, automation, automation is the crucial aspect of getting data mesh right. Because otherwise you're just doing, you know, when you talk to people that have worked at these FANG type companies, a lot of their solution is to throw bodies at, at approaches because they have a high enough return on investment that they can hire a, a data engineer for an obscene amount of money and still get a lot of value out of throwing them at the problems. That's not going to work for 99.9% of companies. You just don't have that high return on just throwing these versus the the engineering or the automation. But we we have to figure out what we're trying to do first. 
So, but uh, so to, to circle back to the question about um, how long it takes for things to kind of sink in, like where, what, what did you see that, that made it so that people who are being successful with data literacy and changing their data culture and things like, what did they learn over those three to four years that people can start to think about what to keep an eye out for data mesh? It's a really good question because I actually don't know what changed over those three or four years. I think it's possibly nothing specific changed. I think it's more of a maturity in the industry of needing to do different, greater, more exciting things, really understanding data as the enabler. And with me, data literacy and building that culture, because the culture you want is the pull. You want people coming to you saying, I want to get involved in this, or I've got a fantastic idea. You want that passion, that excitement. People really are engaged. And it's possible to get that, but it's giving people that base knowledge. We've talked about GDPR years ago. It's a very long time ago now. And they get their GDPR training. But what does that actually mean to them? So if you think about an awareness for everybody in the organization, and data literacy is not I'm going to turn everybody into a data scientist, God forbid. We take English at school, but we're not all going to be English philosophers. So just because we take data literacy doesn't mean we're all going to be a data scientist. It might just mean you're a receptionist. When you log the visitors as they come in, you make sure the details that you log are correct. You're a security guard. You're walking around the office. You see some paperwork on a desk. You know what to do with it. You know what you should and shouldn't do and what considerations you need to make. You're in the warehouse. You load the trucks. The the stock doesn't fit on the lorry. You know exactly what to do, who to report it to, what to say, things to look out for. It's building that basic awareness for everybody and then building that up across the organisation. So for me, the next level would be the people that consume data because that's your next highest level. The consumers that see the reports, the data that they're using for entering into um, other systems. Then after that, you get the creators, your customer service team. When they key in their data, I've got a great example I was using yesterday because somebody asked me what my first job was. And I said it was working in a building society at this pile of index cards very long time ago. And I had to literally key in the names and addresses into this I don't know, green screen mainframe system. That's how long ago we're talking. I hadn't got a clue what data quality meant in those days. If I made a mistake, I I didn't know what the impacts were. So it's helping your enterers. So customer services is a great example. When you've got a new customer, customer ring up, entering that information into the system and really understanding the impacts, allowing them to take those extra few seconds when they enter each field to know it's correct on why it's important to be correct, not just knowing they've got that target of 90 seconds to, and I'm making that up completely, I've got no idea what it should be, to enter that information. They need to have the value and the importance of why. Always back to the why. Final level is your your specialist, your scientists. And actually, I wouldn't just include your scientists in there, your scientists, your engineers, your analysts. I would include people with a passion. So if someone's got a passion, but they're not yet in the data world, Take them up that ladder. Give them the expertise, the skills, because you never know what diamonds you've got hiding in your business that could unveil lots of exciting things. I was launching some digital products a couple of years ago, and we were doing a bit of a roadshow around the UK. We went to one of the business areas, and the ideas that came from the audience, just because you were sparking that idea of, oh, I wonder if, or what if, So your people on the ground, they have the best ideas. Help them understand and be curious and have that confidence and the freedom to be curious and raise those new ideas. Well, and I think that's important for data literacy is to be able to identify those next people that you're going to pull into. For me, it's always been a little confusing how data people don't understand the business because my brain just innately has understood like how business works. And so you can drop me in and in any organization and I'm just like, Oh, here's the business context. Here's the, like, here's what's important to the business. Here's why, like, it just, it just flows through my brain, but exactly what you're talking about of a lot of people that talk about who are their, 
best people in their specific data organization. It's somebody that they pulled from the business side who really understands that business context. So, and we don't, so many people are looking to uh, buy instead of build when it comes to data literate folks. And it's just, we just don't have enough of them to go around. Um, But I, I, I liked what you were saying, especially about, again, playing back into when you're talking about data culture and you're talking about kind of what, what's been the secret sauce of data literacy i think it's it's pushing back to people why are we doing this i think that's the whole point of when you communicate about data mesh and and kind of what i'm trying to do with this podcast and with the community stuff of extract the information out because when i've seen other trends in data things get really hot but nobody really focuses again on that very very on two very, very important questions of why and how, right? And that how is usually vendor driven. So it's by using us versus like, no, here are the actual like approaches that people are taking and not that this is the one approach, but like, let's get into the specifics. And I think that's that's kind of what you're talking about as well with the communicating why what we're doing matters instead of I need you to do this. It's I need you to do this and why. And I think that's, it, it feels like a, like almost a silly thing to say out loud to, to people like you and I, where we've been in those, those things where people are just doing things for the sake of doing them. And, and you're like, why, why are we doing this? But like it, it's so important. It's so crucial to, to drive that in every single conversation. Why are we doing this? Why does this matter? Right? Like, again, when you ask that report, somebody asked for a report. Well, why are you having me create this? And it's not, it's not a, a negative thing to be able if if your culture is so bad that people can't ask, why are we doing this, then you've got to fix that first. <laughs> so um, no, I, th- I think you're, you're, you're circling back on the same points without meaning to, because it, it's again, the things that, that matter, it's what matters. And, and like, how are we going to approach this communicate with each other? I think that's so, so crucial. I think one other thing that we had talked about um, was kind of inspiring people. And when we talked in the pre-show about inspiring people with, with data literacy, like and getting people to think about the art of the possible, what have you seen there? Like what, what have you seen that's been helpful or, or is it somebody sharing very specific visions? Is it finding, okay, this was an example of somebody seeing the art of the possible and this is what the outcome was like, how do you, how do you do that? And then how do you build in the time for people to actually spend the time to think about the art of the possible (laughs) in their day-to-day job? That goes back to having the freedom and yes, we're all very busy but again, it's back to that confidence and that really helping them want to be curious about the data. So customer services, they might have a lot of customers ringing up for a certain topic and they're just now thinking, well, if we could have the data for this, we could be proactive and send an email out and advise all those customers of this. So we've cut our inbound calls down so we can really focus in on supporting customers who need it. So it's having that broader thought process and thinking of the wider organization. And just going back to that, getting data right the first time and spending that extra few moments for putting data in. Although I circle back to the why, there's a cost, there's a huge cost implication there because getting data right and spending those extra few seconds to make sure it's the right spelling of the name and the address, et cetera, is a lot more cost effective than the benchmark is between four and 10 times more. So if it takes a dollar to enter a name, you're looking at four to $10 for every name you need to update because it's not correct. So for example, if you've got 9 million, 20 million customers, that's an awful lot of data if you take the average of 30% is incorrect. So there's huge cost savings by helping people understand why it's important to get the data right that first time. And I think just going back to that art of the possible, 
Something I've seen a lot recently is storytelling and visualization. How you communicate to the business. So we can talk to analytics, we can talk to IT, but we don't always talk the same language. And if there is that element of business partnership, business translator or data translator, those type of roles that sit between the business and the IT or the analytics teams, they're the ones that create those amazing visualizations, all the stories that take the the human element and how to really demonstrate the emotions and the challenges that person or that customer faces and how we could really support them and bring a smile to their face. And I think it's a lot of just thinking about how you can support people with those different elements of the way we look at the world. Yeah, I I think a couple of points in there that I wanted to highlight was almost like instill the confidence in people that are on the front line, that their insights might mean something, and then create a way for that information to actually flow about this could be the art of the possible, right? Like if we had this, I might be able to do that. Somebody might say that to their manager and their manager would go, oh yeah, that would be great. Versus there's a way to um, actually say like, hey, can we do this? And then it might spark an actual conversation to say, would this be valuable? And what would be the value? And let's figure out if we can do it, right? That somebody is empowered to do that. I think that's that's really important. And then again, what you said of like, if we're just doing data work and we're driving all these amazing insights, but nobody can consume the insights, why are you doing it? What is the point of this? I think that's so important. I think, uh, again, you just keep circling back without meaning to on the why. Because it is the most important aspect of these these conversations. When you think you're you're clearly somebody who's focused on data strategy, the more you talk to people on data strategy, it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Like, focus on the why, focus on the outcome. Like, this has to have a business outcome. If data mesh doesn't have doesn't drive business outcomes, why do it? If anything doesn't drive business outcomes, right? And you know, you don't want to be overly only focused on the business, you know, of well, well, we don't need to focus on our culture because that doesn't drive a business outcome. Yes, it does. It means that you have people that want to work there and you have like the long term and you don't want to focus on the short versus the long and all that fun stuff. But like, and, you know, creating an inclusive environment and, and all that stuff is so crucial for a, a lot of reasons. And it does help support the business, but like, you know, it's also just being a good person. But like, yes, yeah, so much of this has to be that if if you were to to sum up where people go wrong is it again just like losing sight of that business outcome or or what 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 do you think is the thing especially when people are thinking about data mesh there's a lot of anti patterns we haven't uncovered yet there's a lot of potential landmines we're heading for that trough of disillusionment of those people who charged forward instead of with intention and with what you said like that leadership and that courage and the funding and everything to really do this right like what wh- where do you think are are the the potential pitfalls or the the landmines that people haven't kind of uh touched yet that that you can if people were to listen to you what would you tell them to avoid <laughs> Go into the top right-hand corner of the Gartner Magic Quadrant and picking a, a solution, a technology solution, without understanding what do you want to do with that. They go to the Magic Quadrant, they pick that right-hand top item, and they go and buy it. They fall for all the sales spiel that it can bake bread and create gold and whatever it can do. But what are they going to do with it? And that goes back to what we said at the beginning about the processes. How are we going to use this? What's the challenge in the business? What are we trying to solve? What do we need to do with the people to help them use this effectively? That's one of the biggest mistakes I see, again, with the the why, not asking the why question as well. So there's probably two, two elements there. Technology first approach, absolute no-no, which I think we've agreed on. And the, um, yeah, we want to be data-driven. Well, what does that actually mean? And not understanding what that actually means and just darting off in a certain direction and just going and trying to do something without actually planning 
Oh, actually, there is there is a third one. Not having a data strategy. Again, just doing these siloed activities without actually having that overarching strategy for the direction that they're going in. Yeah, I think that's the point solutions versus the overall solution, right? Like what you talked about are those pockets. It's like if if we're not doing things in a cohesive way, you're going to have combative, right? And and even when I talk about negotiation in data mesh, I use the phrase I don't know if, if I came up with it. I'm sure I didn't, but uh, collaborative negotiation, right? And that's where you go in and you say like, what are we trying to achieve? We're going forward together. This is not about you versus me. This is us versus the world, right? Like what can we do together if we're, you know, moving together cohesively and, and, and in that single direction? I think, um, yeah, I think you're you're making a lot of the the points that I've tried to make, and and I even put out an episode about what is data like. What are we trying to achieve with data mesh? So much of the the stuff, you know, Jamak in her first presentations covered this a lot, but I think she's left it out more and more because she kind of has assumed people have have uh, absorbed it, but a lot of people haven't. Of like, what are we trying to do with this? Right, this has to have a point. It's not just like fun to do, to be data-driven. Like, what are we actually trying to achieve? We're trying to, to make it so that it's easier to infuse your business decisions with data, right? Like, inform your business decisions, whether that's the big or the small, and you figure out what's useful. Like, is it, you know, not every single decision needs to be data-informed, Right. Where are you going to go for lunch today? You don't really need data informed. Maybe you do. Maybe you go to Yelp. Maybe you do that. But like, uh, okay, we're going to do a team lunch. Maybe you do want to go out and do a little bit of thing. But it's, you know, that's external data, not internal data. But like, if somebody's making a call to a prospect and you can give them, you know, 2x the amount of information that's useful in that call and it leads to, you know, uh, 50, 60% higher conversion rate, that has a massive business impact. Even if it's just a small thing about, hey, here are five uh, trends about what we've seen the, the customer's usage, if it's customer success or something like that. Or um, you know, for a prospect, it's like, hey, this is the industry the company's in. Here are three use cases that have that we've done with that industry, right? That you have those little like quick little hooks that seem like they're very small, but they're super, super valuable versus like, okay, we need to drive our full strategy and we need to make these massive decisions. Yes, you obviously want to do that with data. So let's, sorry, I'm, I'm just talking at you. I'm preaching to the choir because you're, <laughs> you're just, you're, you're saying the, the things that, that um, I, I really think people have missed sight of in a lot of the data strategy stuff. Yes, I completely agree. It, it just has to be business focused. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right many organizations miss that key point and trying to drive the need for data strategy is actually a really tough sell. It's, it's, it's telling people to spend the time to think when people want to just their people are inherently intrinsically motivated to action. Right. And so, yeah. Um, so this has been a phenomenal conversation. I think, uh, again, it's, it's, summed up a lot of the things that that have been through lines through a lot of the episodes. And I think making them very explicit is is uh, very useful for folks. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? I know we were hoping to cover adaptive governance and data as a product versus uh, data products, but <laughs> we're coming up on an hour here. But um, is there anything else we didn't cover? Or is there any way that you'd, you'd want to kind of wrap up the, the episode, put a, a kind of button on anything? I think it's just thinking about the why, just going circling right back to the beginning. Why are you actually doing something? Why do you want to do something? I'm really going back to the thinking. Take time. Maybe you don't have a data strategy, but why do you want to be data driven? Why do you want a data mesh? What's the, what are the benefits you're actually going to get from that? That's probably the strongest message that I would say out of that. Do the thinking before you dive in. <laughs> but I want to move. I want to go now. Uh, well, Liz, this has been super awesome. If, if people want to follow up with you 
where's the best place to do that? And uh, what do you want them following up with you about? Yeah, feel free to contact me via LinkedIn. There's a ton of blogs on there, also replicated on my website uh, for about nine years worth of effort. So feel free to message me about anything that spikes you interested in my blog posts. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, we'll drop links to that stuff in the show notes as per usual. So uh, we'll, we'll make it easy on the, the guests to find that as well. So again, uh, Liz, thank you so much for spending the time and, and sharing your, your insights on uh, kind of, again, focusing on why are we doing this? This has to have a point. Though uh, you're, you're just preaching to, it's, it's almost like you're just uh, telling me because it's just like, this is the thing that, that I've I wish more people would say out loud. It's so important to say this out loud. So again, thank you so much for the time and and thank you everyone as well for listening. Thanks, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Liz Henderson, aka The Data Queen, who's an executive advisor at Capgemini. You can find a link to her website with her blog posts and her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.